Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Once I reviewed each of his works in the chronological order of publication, but Ka is a wheel, it all goes round again, and here I am once more on a new phase of the journey, one to examine each of the endings of the works of Stephen King, to determine whether or not King deserves his reputation for having an inability to successfully land his endings. The focus of the podcast will be to examine the climax, falling action, and resolution of the endings to each of his novels and break it down by character themes, conflict, and plot to determine whether or not it meets the criteria of being an objectively good ending. I will also weigh in on whether or not I happen to personally, subjectively like the ending. And today, I am here to discuss the ending of The Dark Tower. There's a lot to talk about in uh, in regards to the ending of this particular book, which isn't just an ending to this book, but it is an ending to the previous six books that came before it and an ending to an entire chapter of Stephen King's oeuvre. Um, it is an ending to um, a, a saga that, that wove in so many aspects of his themes and characters and locations and so it was a grand conclusion to a number of aspects of Stephen King so there is a lot to talk about um but first I want to get to some listener emails so if you have some time on your hands and you want to write to Someone on the internet, feel free to write in to the Stephen King cast at yahoo.com to give me any and all of your thoughts about Stephen King, The Dark Tower, or what have you. Lisa writes, hello, I am a new new listener, a new listener to any podcast. Yours is my first. When someone told me to just type in a subject that I would want to search on my podcast app, the first two words I typed were Stephen King. That led me to you, and I am so grateful. Besides being a constant reader, and I actually have... Uh, dear constant reader dear constantly reader tattooed on my forearm I'm a tower junkie I would not say I'm an expert but a connoisseur of King's story arc and easter eggs in each of my Stephen King books there are highlights words in the margins lines and arrows to where they might lead or imply and maps that I've drawn I write all of the tropes and Stephen Kingisms on the pages they appear some look like college textbooks of an insane grad student and I do all of this for fun I'm gonna jump in right now. I uh, I used to be so against um, writing in books and uh, dog earing pages and bending the spine, and I just wanted all my books to be as pristine as they were when I got them. It's probably a holdover from my comic book collecting days, but um, the older I got, I realized that it you need to have a conversation with the text, and you need to just document your journey that you have with the, the the text and the characters and the words themselves and so using a pen and dog earing it and showing your love that's the best compliment that you can give to a book so unless you're a cult you know unless you are a, a seller um i mean go for it just mark up that book put all your thoughts underline highlight write in the margins um, make your connections, you know, because I've said it before, this is a form of magic. The fact that books exist, the fact that it's the literal translation of someone else's thoughts that did not exist prior to that person taking the words and the ideas out of their head and conjuring them onto a page that you are able to then absorb, that is magic. So 
communicate with that magic, take your wand, and then write down your own spells from your mind onto the sacred text. Okay, so Lisa continues. I really see I recently finished all of your tower episodes and related episodes. Now I'm moving through my favorites first. I love hearing your opinions and those of other listeners that you share. It's like my own book club, a book club that I've waited years and decades to join. My first Stephen King book was Pet Cemetery. Not only was it my first King novel, but my first adult book. I was mesmerized by the story, the language, by the scenes I could see taking place in my mind as I read each paragraph. I kept the book hidden from my parents because I thought something this great was probably forbidden to a 7th grade girl. I read it on the school bus to and from school and at lunch. I parted ways with many of my friends because I would rather sit a little off to myself reading than talk about middle school drama. I was addicted and the book... I was addicted... Okay. And the drug was the written word. It's an addiction I've never overcome. My second Stephen King book was The Talisman and it rocked my world. As soon as I finished reading the last sentence, I turned back to page one and started it all over again with the same level of excitement. I then devoured all of King's stories and caught up with his publications in the late 90s. Now I wait, wait for each time a new novel or collection is released. I'm eagerly awaiting Billy Summers in a few weeks. Well, that's my origin story and what led me to find you and your podcast. I enjoy the origin stories of your other listeners. It's like watching someone open a great gift truly happy and excited for them keep sharing lisa lisa thank you for sharing your story um and up next we have tommy tommy writes hi i've been listening to your podcast lately although only on the episodes to books i've read to avoid spoilers i just finished your podcast on cujo and one thing i wanted to comment was that when you said this if this was someone's first stephen king novel they read i would understand if they were turned off from reading anything else by him that my experience was quite different from that. I have never been much of a reader. I read Harry Potter, of course, and The Lord of the Rings in middle school. Uh, I think I read three books total, and none of them were very long. In 2018, I finally read Cujo, which was my very first time reading anything by Stephen King, and it actually rekindled my interest in reading again. Since then, I have read The Dead Zone, Insomnia, Pet Cemetery, the first three Dark Tower books, and four other non-Stephen King novels as well. 11 books in three and a half years isn't much for a bona fide bookworm like some people I know, but for me, that's a lot. I wouldn't say Cujo was my favorite Stephen King book that I've read, but it definitely had an impact on me. I just wanted to share that with you. Thank you, Tommy. Um, so for listeners that want a little backstory, my Cujo review back in the day is kind of controversial because um, I came down kind of heavily on it. Um, you can check it out. Just go back and, and listen to it for... Um, for the specifics, um, but <clears throat> the, the the thrust of it was is that it's um, at the time of the publication when it came out, it's very, very pessimistic and uh, uh, unrelenting and dark and brutal. And it's that those are not necessarily criticisms of the book because there's an intention there. Um, but I did make the point, like, like Tommy wrote, um, that if this was your first exposure to Stephen King, and you don't want that level of pessimism. I can understand walking away from Stephen King. Um, so, for all of my thoughts on Cujo, check it out. Check out my Cujo review. Then we have Anonymous, who writes, Hello, constant reader. I've been a faithful follower and subscriber of your podcast for years now. I love the content. Thank you. A question I wanted to ask uh, is something I'm sure you already know, but I'll ask anyway. In regards to King's story set in the town of Derry, I listened to the short story uh, titled Autopsy in Room 4, and I hear it took place in Derry. 
Unfortunately, I haven't returned to the story for clarification. I'm not sure where I found the story either. I downloaded multiple short stories by Stephen King, and that was one of them. I believe that that one is in the... Uh, I think it's the Everything's Eventual collection. Um, so, I also messaged you about a year or so ago and made the comment about the wolfhead cane Andre Linoge carried in Storm of the Century. The cane appeared in multiple movie adaptations. The stand, Stu Redman walked with it at the end. Ah, I didn't catch that. Obviously, Andre Linoge appeared, uh, uh with Andre Linoge. It also appeared in Salem's Lot and Needful Things. I was just curious as to the reason why it keeps popping up. Perhaps just a prop or is it more than that? Keep up the good work. I'll be a constant listener from Birmingham, Alabama. Thank you, Anonymous. Um, you know, I, I, I've thought, or I haven't thought actually too much about the, the wolf's head cane, but it has come up a couple times throughout the years about the significance. I don't know if there is. I think that it just might be a little Easter egg um, in the works of Stephen King. I, I don't think that, I honestly just don't think there, there's much more to it. Um, it just could be a little mystical artifact that keeps popping up, or at one point somewhere in the multiverse and the worlds of Stephen King, there were multiple magic canes that spread out across the cosmos and, and winds up, and they will all wind up in, in the hands of different people. Um, but I, I actually, I, I just think of that as a little Easter egg. <clears throat> All right, Catherine writes, So I'm a little late to the party as I just discovered your podcast a couple months ago. I can't tell you how much... Um, I've been enjoying it. In this pandemic, this has been something I've looked forward to listening to on my morning walk or when I have some downtime. Made me want to go back and reread many of his books, and I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed listening to your analysis of each book. I know so many great episodes are coming up, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. Oh, say about it, The Stand, and The Dark Tower series. All the best, Catherine. Catherine, thank you so much for writing in. I really, really appreciate it. So, like I said before, if you have any thoughts... Um, please write into stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. Also, if you have any time on your hands, this would really help me out just leaving a review on iTunes. It goes a really long way to help differentiate me from <clears throat> the other Stephen King podcasts that are out there. Okay, so what I'm going to do now, I'm going to talk about the ending of The Dark Tower. But first, to talk about the ending of The Dark Tower, I'm going to read the Wikipedia summary, the summary upon which I will build a foundation um, for the ending. Uh, beginning where Book 6 left off, Jake Chambers and Father Callahan battle the evil infestation within the Dixie Pig, a vampire lounge in New York City featuring roast human flesh and doors to other worlds. After fighting off and destroying numerous low men and type 1 vampires, Callahan sacrifices himself to let Jake survive. In the other world, Fedek, Mia, her body now physically separated from Susanna Dean, gives birth to Mordred Deshane, the biological son of Roland Deshane and Susanna. The Crimson King is also a co-father of this prophetic child, so it's not surprising when baby Mordred's first act is to shapeshift into a spider creature and feast on the birth mother. Susanna shoots but fails to kill Mordred, eliminates other agents of the Crimson King, and escapes to meet up with Jake at the cross-dimensional door beneath the Dixie Pig, which connects to Fedek. Maturing at an accelerated rate, Mordred later stalks Roland and the other gunslingers throughout this adventure, shifting from human to spider as the need arises, seething with an instinctive rage toward Roland, his white daddy. In Maine... <clears throat> Roland and Eddie recruit John Cullum and then make their way back to Fedek, where the Cotet is reunited. 
Walter plans to slay Mordred and uses the birth and use the birthmark on Mordred's heel to gain access to the tower, but he's easily slain by the infant when Mordred sees through his lies. Roland and his Kotep travel to the Thunderclap, then to nearby Devartois to help a group of psychics known as Breakers who are allowing their telepathic abilities to be used to break away at the beams that support the tower. Ted brought again an inky Dernshaw. Dinky Earnshaw assist the gunslingers with the information and weapons and reunite Roland with his old friend Shimi Ruiz from Mehis. The gunslingers free the breakers from the captors, but Eddie is wounded after the battle and dies a short while later. Roland and Jake pause to mourn and then jump to Maine of 99 along with Oi in order to save the life of Stephen King, whom he writes to be an omniscient secondary character in the book. The Kotet have come to believe that the success of their quests depends on King surviving to write about it through his books. They discover King about to be hit, in, to be hit by a van. Jake pushes King out of the way, but Jake is killed in the process. Roland, heartbroken with the loss of the person he considers his true son, buries Jake and returns Oi with Oi to Susanna in Fedek via the Dixie Pig. They are chased through the depths of Castle Discordia by an otherworldly monster, then depart and travel for weeks across freezing badlands toward the tower. <clears throat> Along the way, they find Patrick Danville, a young man imprisoned by someone who calls himself Joe Collins, but is really a psychic vampire named Dandelo. Dandelo feeds off the emotions of his victims and starts to feed off Roland and Susanna by telling them jokes. Roland and Susanna are alerted to the danger by Stephen King, who drops clues directly into the book, enabling them to defeat the vampire. They discover Patrick in the basement and find that Dandelo had removed his tongue. Patrick is freed, and soon this special talent becomes evident. <clears throat> his drawings and paintings become reality. As their travels bring them nearer to the Dark Tower, Susanna comes to the conclusion that Roland needs to complete his journey without her. Susanna asks Patrick to draw a door she has seen in her dreams to lead her out of the world. He does so, and once it appears, Susanna... Oh, man, I'm having problems. Susanna says goodbye to Roland and crosses over to another world. Mordred finally reaches and attacks Roland. Oi viciously defends his din, providing Roland the extra seconds needed to exterminate the were-spider. Oi is impaled on a tree branch and dies. Roland continues to his ultimate goal and reaches the tower, only to find it occupied by the Crimson King. They remain in a stalemate for a few hours until Roland has Patrick draw up a picture of the Crimson King and then erase it, thus wiping him out of existence except for his eyes. Roland gains entry into the tower while Patrick turns back home. The last scene is that of Roland crying out the names of his loved ones and fallen comrades that he had vowed to do. <clears throat> the door to the Dark Tower closes shut and Patrick watches from a distance. The story then shifts to Susanna coming through the magic door to an alternate 1980s New York where Gary Hart is president. Susanna throws away Roland's gun, which does not function on this side of the door, rejecting the life of a gunslinger, and starts a new life with alternate versions of Eddie and Jake, who are in this world brothers with the surname Torin. They have only very vague memories of their previous journey with Susanna, whose own memories of Midworld are already beginning to fade. It's implied that an alternate version of Oi the Billy Bumber will also join them. In a final coda section, King urges the reader to close the book at this point, consider the story finished with a happy ending, and not venture inside the tower with Roland. For those who do not heed the warning, the story resumes with Roland stepping into the dark tower. He realizes that the tower is not really made of stone, but a kind of flesh. <clears throat> it is Gon's physical body. 
As he climbs the steps, Roland encounters various rooms containing sigils or signs of his past life. <clears throat> when he reaches the top of the tower, he finds a door marked with his own name and he opens it. Roland instantly realizes to his horror that he has reached the tower countless times before. He is forced through the door by the hands of Gon and transported back in time to the Mohane Desert where he was at the beginning of the Dark Tower, the Gunslinger, with no memories of what had occurred. The only difference is that this time Roland possesses the Horn of Eld, which in the previous incarnation he had left lying on the ground after the Battle of Jericho Hill. Roland hears the voice of Gon, whispering if he reaches the tower again, perhaps this time the result will be different, that there may yet be rest. The series ends where it began in the first line of the book. The man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. Okay, so let's talk about the ending. Um, so the entire novel functions, the entire novel, all of it, from page one to page whatever, 700-something, um, so, much like the, the blurring of realities, uh, the structure of the end blurs as well. So it's kind of hard to just choose the climax, the falling action, and the resolution because the entire thing is the ending. So we could talk about the climax from the moment where Jake dies, falling action being Susanna leaving, Roland reaching the tower, the resolution, the coda, and the conclusion. Or the climax could be Roland reaches the tower. The following action could be Roland defeats the Crimson King. The resolution is the coda and the conclusion. Or you could say the climax is the death of Eddie. <laughs> it's the splintering of the quartet. If the conflict has been Roland's fear of gathering a new family, the destruction of that family is the climax. If the conflict has been Roland's guilt and the questionable redemption for the second death of Jake, then the final death of uh, then the final death of Jake is the climax. Or maybe you were just overthinking it. And it's as simple as Roland's quest. He wants to reach the tower, therefore reaching the tower is the climax. Um, so I, I'm not going to point to a particular moment um, in this book. We're just going to talk about, this one's going to be, like I said, about the blurring of the realities. It's going to be kind of vague. Um, so it's a different book for a different type of story in the works of Stephen King. So it's fine if, if things are a little bit vague here. Anyway. So, the criteria for a good ending. Does it provide uh, an appropriate conclusion to its characters that is consistent with the characters' actions, conflicts, or themes of the book? So, no matter how you break it down, uh, whether you treat the ending as the entirety of the novel, try to apply plot structure to different story beats, or hold the conclusion of Roland's journey as the ending, it doesn't really matter. What happens to the character is fitting for those characters. You might not like what happens, but this has always been a brutal series. I, I'm actually, I'm wearing my Oi shirt right now um, from Kotet19. Order it, it's great. So the reason I bring up Oi is because right here in my notes, I write, I don't like Oi dying. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. To this day, it's one of the more painful memories that I've ever had of reading anything in, in, in anything I think that it's mean-spirited but Ka is a punishing force and it grinds all of us beneath its wheel and I, it's appropriate for the book that we are reading ultimately whether you agree or disagree with the fates of Flad, Flag, Mordred, Callahan, Jake, Eddie, Susanna, Patrick, the Crimson King it doesn't matter it just doesn't at the end of the day it all comes down to Roland and his terrible, tragic, hellish repetitive fate 
It's the possibly the single most ingenious thing that King has ever put to paper. You might not like Roland's fate, but it's the one that feels the most right. So yes, I mean, from a character standpoint, I think that it, it, it's it, it's wildly consistent. It's one of the most honest, accurate, correct things that King has ever done. Next question, does it successfully wrap up the plot? Specifically, do the events build upon one another with consistency? Does Roland reach the tower? Yep. And in doing so, his quartet are whittled away one by one. In the end, it can only come down to him and the tower, the gunslinger and the dark tower. Everything else that occurs in this novel is like a knife to a piece of wood. It's carving it down to its barest essence. So yes, it successfully wraps up the plot. Does the conclusion serve the theme, the symbolisms, and the motifs? Uh, you think? I mean, for, uh, a, for a story um, that has been predicated on the concept that Ka is a wheel to end it in the place that it began again it is it is just genius it's amazing what king did here yes and just the uh, transposing the image of the gunslinger on top of the the tower itself and having him be in the tower and having him be so linked to the tower then yeah it just yes it absolutely is uh what is the most famous scene in the novel and does it appear in the conclusion of the story I would say it is the very ending. It is the the. I would say that it is Roland's realization that he has to go back and start all over again, and our dawning understanding of what that means. And yes, it is. The man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslingers followed. Um, so yes, that is the most famous scene in the novel. Are there other factors that we need to talk about? Um, I need to consider. Uh, so I already touched upon it, whether we, we might like the fates of certain characters. This is not a feel-good book, and it's not a feel-good ending. And for those of us who, you know, and the people that started reading this from the beginning, you know, I didn't. I <clears throat> I didn't start reading this until after uh, The Wastelands had, had come out. So I only had to wait between the publication of The Wastelands and the Dark Tower, but for people there was there was even a longer wait. And in that time, that my my uh, fandom just activated to new levels. And I Stephen King taught me how to be a, an obsessive fan and how to analyze things. And I started making all these connections. And I poured so much of my time and myself and my interests and um, my my fandom and and it, it, so much of me. And the time that I spent was wrapped up in the works of Stephen King. So to get to an ending that was so, at the time, seemed dismissive of the characters that I had cared about. Flag, I loved Flag. I mean, I used to dress when I was like, you know, um, an adolescent, like just decked out completely in denim because I just loved the image of Randall Flag. Ridiculous look. But I, I just loved Randall Flag. I thought he was such a cool bad guy. So for him to be taken out like a punk at that time, I didn't have the objectivity, the, the the objectivity to be able to look at it for what it was. I I was judging it for what I wanted, and that's not fair to what Stephen King produced. And only later in life did again 
Stephen King and this book teach me how to really appreciate the output of the written word and a piece of fiction and a piece of art and how to judge it for what it is and how the fact that I am purposely denied the thing that I want in of itself is a choice that I must consider and ask why was I denied that choice? Why did the author do it that way? And what is the author trying to say? And it made me be a better understanding of uh, an understander. That's a word, um, but an appreciator um, of of art. So, no, it is not feel good. It's not feel good. I mean, uh, Susanna's goodbye. It's sad. Oi's death. I mean, for anyone that's ever lost a pet. Okay, I'm getting teary. Um, it's awful. Like saying goodbye to a pet under the best circumstances one of the, is one of the worst things that you're ever going to have to do. But to have Oi dying the way that he did, it's it's just brutal and mean. Jake, again, having to say goodbye to Jake right when he was just really coming into his own and understanding and becoming a man, it's awful. Awful. Callahan... You know, Callahan is given a glorious send-off, um, but just to to meet him again and, and and to go through his journey just to see him die at the hands of vampires, even if it is um, triumphant, and as I've said before, it's the most triumphant thing that, that King has written, it's still so sad. And then Eddie, the one that, the death of Eddie is, there's no poignancy to it. It's not a hero's ending. He's not, you know, I mean, he had just, you know, saved um, the people from the thunderclap, but he's not, people don't live because he saves them, you know, he doesn't, or because of his death. It comes after the fact. It's pointless, you know. Um, so there's a lot there that's just painful, you know. And at, at, then, you know, after Eddie dies, after Jake dies, and it's Susanna, and it's Roland. Everything just gets washed out and lonely. And then there's still so much left of the book, but and it's this weight that you feel as you read. You know, the book is heavy, and it's this weight of their loss that King forces you to sit with, and you feel their absence. And you think of the times when they sat around the campfire, and you laughed with them, and you felt as though you were a part of this growing family, this quartet, and you feel their loss. You feel the pain. You feel the fact that your quartet has been broken and it can't be healed and you think what what is going to happen next and that that feeling of loss starts to get even heavier because it starts to get this sense of dread and this weight of dread that this is not going to be a happy ending there is not going to be a redemption and though the, the world has always been so large, things just seem so small. The conflict seems so small. Mordred, this much mythologized character in the last two books, is just a petulant child who wants his dad. Such a small personal thing. The mythology expands like a dying sun, but at its core is this burning intensity. It's a small, little personal personal thing you know like in it you know we 
had had been introduced to this to the deadlights a, a concept and a creature and an entity that exists as a contradiction to itself it is both its own universe it's an entity within its universe it is infinite and yet it is housed outside of our universe um and it's, it, it's able to be defeated as a child it, it's mind-bending it's 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 lovecraftian in its concept and then here king purposely gives us something that reminds us of the spider in dandolo um who is a clown of sorts a clown vampire and it's so small again it's so small it's so small the tower which had been this much mythologized thing you, we, we see it roland i think first sees his first proof evidence of it as a photograph it's small it's a small moment in the story and then even when you you get there it's it's you you he's confronted he's confronting the the the, the crimson king and they haven't talked about the crimson king yet and how mad i was when i first read it because he was this screaming old man who was just throwing harry potter um bombs and i just thought it was ridiculous and i missed the point that yeah it is that that this greed and ambition this is what's going to happen to you if you just seek out the destination you're going to trap yourself and that the, the the destination and and the goal whatever it is and you don't take the time along the journey to to be your best self and to love the people that you're with you're, you're gonna be trapped by dissatisfaction and in this case it's you're you're just an old man screaming at the world around him and that's that's what the crimson king is and again it's so small you know the crimson king who was presented to us in insomnia as the the version of the devil this this you know thing that is spanning you know uh the, the evil across the cosmos um that requires uh almost like a james cameron terminal terminator style save the child um scenario in one book whose you know child grows up and again is just trapped beneath a basement um in a fairy tale basically it, it, there's a sense of it just small when given the opportunity to go big and mythic king just i don't want to say grounded it because there's a fairy tale and a fairy like and a, a folk tale-ish quality to the conclusion of this story but it still feels small and that's important and it's purposeful and it fucking works um and that's why i, I think that it's it's as good as an ending as as king has ever done uh do i like the ending um yeah i do you know if you ask me when it first came out i would say no um but no i i do i think that it's just amazing and i'm blown away by it it's sad it gives me all the feels um but it also makes me when i think about it 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 does its job do you know why because i think that in life it's very easy for all of us to always be looking at the next thing that has to happen and the next thing that we have to do. And, you know, we live in a culture, we live in a society where, you know, we, we dedicate ourselves most of the time to work. And, um, you know, what is the next step in our, you know, if you have a career, you think about what the next step in your career is going to be. And when does it all end? And you look towards to, you look forward to retirement and, you know, and it's very easy to just not 
take a moment and appreciate the things that you have in the moment um, and appreciate the journey. So this novel makes me appreciate the journey. So yeah, I like the ending. Is it a good ending? Yes. I mean, I'll say it right here. I'll I'll call my shot. This is Stephen King's best ending. And when... Oh, I hate saying stuff like this. Talk about endings. You know, when when after Stephen King passes away and that he gets just cemented, you know, as the greatest um, American storyteller um, of the, the 20th and 21st century. And it will happen. That will eventually, he will get his due. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think that's going to have to wait until after he passes away. But we all know that it's true. Um, but, you know, uh, critics and scholars will, um, I think, have to wait until after that to acknowledge that. But um, after that happens... It's the Dark Tower, this book, this conclusion to his entire run that is going to be really looked at and picked apart. And then this ending is going to be um, dissected and uh, valued and it's going to be spoken of in uh, in very respected and reverent tones. So this is an incredible ending that I think one day will definitely get its due. So, um, where does this leave us? Uh, this is, uh, I happen to like 32 out of 36 endings. And we have stated that 31 out of 36 endings happen to be good. So, you know, just looking at this, and I think that we can project it into the future that, yeah, I think that Stephen King gets a bad rap for not being able to wrap up his endings because 31 out of 36 endings has met the criteria for being an objectively good ending. So, okay, everyone, listen, if you liked the 30 minutes that I talked about the the Dark Tower, look, the Dark Tower podcasts that I've done, I'm, I'm so proud of all of the thoughts that I had put into the Dark Tower. I didn't talk about so much other stuff that I could talk about. I didn't talk about Patrick Danville being a stand-in uh, for all of the artists that had um, contributed to the Dark Tower series. Stephen King put himself in the book. And then Patrick Danville is a stand-in for the Michael Whelan and uh, Dave McKeon and, and everyone else. And the Bernie Wrightsons that had helped contribute and, and build this world. So I didn't even talk about that. I, I, I didn't talk about um, cycles. I didn't talk about flag that much. I, I there, There's just so much to talk about in... Um, when we talk about the Dark Tower. And so if you like this and you want some deep thoughts on the Dark Tower, yo, go back. Go back in the feed. Listen to the Gunslinger. Listen to the Gunslinger bonus edition. Listen to the Drawing of the Three and then the, the bonus episode, the Wasteland, the bonus episode. Uh, listen to Wizard and Glass. Listen to um, my entire episode I did about Flag. Listen to Eyes of the Dragon. Listen to The Black House. Listen to Wolves of the Collar, Song of Susanna. Listen to The Dark Tower. Listen to everything that I have done. Listen to my Insomnia podcast. Listen to anything related to the Dark Tower if you think Think it's related to the Dark Tower? I talk about the Dark Tower. I go into detail about the Dark Tower. I am proud, proud of the work that I did um, for the, the Dark Tower stuff in this podcast. So go back, listen to it, and enjoy. Travel back in time to earlier, simpler days 
when it was one man musing on the work of Stephen King when I wasn't just talking about the endings of the works of Stephen King's when I had a chance. So go on, go back, go listen. Um, be like Roland himself. Open up that door at the top of the tower. Go back to the Mohane Desert. Go back and listen to those episodes. Okay, everyone. Um, when we meet next, um, I think I'm talking about Cell. I think that's the next one I'm talking about. Oh, or the Colorado Kid. Um, one of those two. But the Colorado Kid will be coming up. For those of you who have been paying very close attention throughout the years, I have made a deal with all of you that if I were if I was to get 500 um likes on iTunes, I would do a review of the Colorado Kid. That Colorado Kid uh, review is coming up shortly um, in, in in one of the next episodes that I do, um, if I remember correctly. Um, so that's coming. Um, and stay tuned and listen to see what, what happens next. Okay, everyone, uh, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I will see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast. <laughs>